I think there's no question in, in my mind. I think the best thing that ever happened to me was not having kids when I was 22 and having kids when I was 54. Why? Because when I was, tr- I was trying to establish a career. I was out there trying to, you know, make my name and whatever. And I would love kids. It would have been uh, no question because, you know, once you have a kid, you love the kid. But I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't have any clue. You know, you never know who you are 100%, but you certainly know more in your 50s than you know in your early 20s of who you are. Creating art and a well-balanced family life at the same time can often be a struggle. That's why I'm devoted to capturing the stories of different types of artists who are also parents and learn how they balance their work and the demands of parenting. If nothing else, by hearing the soundtrack of one another's lives, we know we are in this together. I'm your host, Liz Paul, and you're listening to Life Soundtrack, the podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Sandra and Larry Gross. Sandra is an accomplished symphony violist and an instructor. Larry is the host of the West Virginia Public Broadcasting, NPR-syndicated radio show, Mountain Stage, which by no small feat is launching its 35th year on the air. Mountain Stage has featured hundreds of acclaimed artists, such as R.E.M., Nora Jones, Patti Smith, Lucius, and more. I visited them in their home in Charleston, West Virginia. In the interview, we talked about homeschooling their two daughters, exciting side projects, and their experience of having children a little later in life. Since I'm a sucker for love stories, we start out the interview by talking about how Larry and Sandra met. Oh. Are your stories different? No, Um, no, they're the same, and they're interesting. (laughs) Is it it an interesting story? Yeah, it is. It is for for several reasons. Oh, okay. Um, Do tell. Well, I, I was married before. She was not. I'm obviously older than her. And I uh, was unmarried and, you know, not attached. And uh, I, I emceed a uh, fundraiser that the quartet, remember she mentioned the quartet a minute ago, that the string quartet performed on. And I was attracted to her, so I said, who is that woman? And somebody said, well, that her name and everything. I mean, I met her, but... And so, you know, I, I pursued her a little bit. And and uh, and then I asked her if she wanted to go out to dinner, and she said, "No, I can't do that because she whatever she." Had. And I said, "Well, here's my phone number. If you ever want to do that, call me." I thought that's the end of that because she ain't going to call me. But she called me a week later or something. I said, "Well, let's go to dinner." So we went out, and then I said, "Let me come pick you up." And she said, "No, I'll meet you there." I thought that's very smart. She doesn't know me. She knows who I am. <laughs> But she doesn't know me. She knew what Mountain Stage was, but she doesn't know. I could be the biggest jerk in the world. <laughs> then she wants to get away. I'm in my car, you know. So, good. I like that. I thought that was very smart. So, we met. We started hmm. talking. And and we realized, and, and, and she was raised in Philadelphia. I was raised in Dallas. We meet in Charleston, West Virginia. So, what do we have? Nothing in common, right? Except for we like music and whatever. And a man knew she was in the symphony. She knew I did Mountain Stage. So we had that. We knew each other that much. It wasn't totally ignorant. So then she said, oh, I used to go to Dallas every year. And I said, why'd you go to Dallas every year? Because my father's parents lived there. Come to find out, her father was raised about two miles from me in Dallas. <laughs> Went to the same junior high school. No way. And, and uh, he, he grew up and then he left Dallas and never came back, just like I did. He went to college, never returned. I went to college, never returned. So that we had something there that was in common. And then we, you know, I had already pretty much thought, I'm not going to ever get married again. I was married for a good while. That's the end of that marriage business. 
And I don't know. She, I think she'd already you tell her. You, you told me that you thought, well, I don't need enough to ever get married. Is that right? You weren't sure that you were going to. Uh, well, I was how old? I was plenty old. And, she was. And she was twenty nine. And when didn't I met imagine her, that. Didn't imagine that I was. I was. I was pretty happy single. Yeah. It's pretty. It was, it was a good yeah, life. Yeah. It was a pretty good life. <laughs> Neither one of us were particularly looking for, for a, a life partner. partner. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I just and then and we we courted, saw each other for a while, got more serious, and then there's the quote that I say, and I remember saying this in the in the parking lot of uh, the Italian restaurant. What is it? Where we ate the one down here. Joe Fazio. 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 Anyway, I said to uh, her, no, she said to me, I only had one qualification for a a man. And I said, what was that? She said, he had to have read a book. (laughs) And and I said, I only had one qualification for a woman. She said, what was that? I said, she had to have a job. (laughs) So we laughed about that. But in many cases, that was actually true. And, And on certain levels, that was really true. It's been great. We've been married now for 16 years. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. And we've been together for 17 years. Yeah, we got started with the kids right away because that yeah. was obviously there was some... And she wanted to have kids. And the thing is, I hadn't had kids. So I had my first child at 54. And what a wonderful thing. Am I so glad that I met her because I would have missed this whole experience, which is well, yeah. a huge part of life, as you know. Yeah. It's, a, you know, I'm not saying anything about you. You certainly can be complete without having kids. Right. But when you have a kid, it's a different deal. And it certainly makes you under, understand things and see things differently and think about yourself differently. So it is, that's how we got together through just music, really. I mean, I guess that's yeah, part of it. Yeah. We're, we're both, and I wouldn't have been there unless I'd have been in music and entertainment, and she wouldn't have been there unless she was a performer. So there was some of that in there. And then there was some chance, because frankly, I mean, I didn't, I thought, well, it's the end of that. She's not going to call me. <laughs> But, but it's funny did. to think back. I, I I can't really remember myself as such a classical music snob, but I suppose I was still back at the time when we first met. But she hadn't gone to a horizon. pop concert in her life. I took never, her to a first yeah. pop concert. Which was? Bob Dylan. Oh, what a great one. It's a good way to start. Oh, yeah. yeah. One interesting thing about Larry and Sandra is that they both have successful but non-conventional jobs. Quite the opposite of your reliable nine-to-five desk job. Despite its drawbacks, they wouldn't have it any other way. Well, most people that do what we do uh, don't have the norm, normal, quote unquote, you know, uh, workday. I mean, time and that sort yeah. of thing. You don't yeah. go off to the office and come back. And right. we never, I never have, and yeah. she never has either. So. Yeah. On the other hand, we don't have weekends. That that doesn't exist. The the concept of of two days a week where you can count on being home and not working is completely foreign to us. When you're you're on, matter of fact, it's almost like you're always on. That's that's one of the good things. You never have a vacation, but on the other hand, you never have a work time, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's all about getting done what the project is. And however long it takes, and whenever it takes, and that's that's been something that people have to learn who come to work on Mountain Stage. Young people, some are thinking that you're going to get a job and work nine to five, and they're quickly disabused of that idea because if we we can't say you know this is overtime or whatever. I mean, legally we follow all the rules, but 
they have to understand you, you're going to show day is Sunday and you got to be there for 12 hours or 10 mm -hmm. hours. And then if we, things happen and you have to get something done, then you got to be there until it gets done. You don't not look. Start looking at your watch, and you're in the wrong job. Right, absolutely. And that's fa and and that people know that, and, and everybody understands that. And the ones who don't want that, great, go and get what you want. Yeah, you but it doesn't work that way for no. yeah. for us. And that no, nor does it. I'm sure for a writer or you know a painter or because I've made my my living only in music, and so has she. Either performing or teaching private students. Me, it's been a lot of things. I mean, I've written songs of made records, recorded, I've toured and played, I've produced Mountain Stage and other things, and so there's a variety of things, but it's all been in the world of music or the arts. And she has many jobs, and let you, you can tell them what all you do. Well, I came to West Virginia uh, auditioning for to, to be with the symphony, and to, they had a resident string quartet that, that was a full-time job if you did both the, the quartet and the symphony. And I did that job for about 13 or 14 years, something like that. And in the meanwhile, the kids came um, in that period. And then eventually, um, just the quartet did a lot of touring around the state, and, and we played a lot of schools. And, um, and what's funny is that, that at the time that the kids were born and very young, that was great. It was actually, I don't know if you had this experience with, but, but I really needed something to do, and I, and I wanted to be working and, and dragging them around. So I did a lot of dragging around. I've got some kind of dramatic stories of that, of uh, finding a way yeah. to... <laughs> of but, making it work. But, then, make, yeah. but then it just, by the time they were hitting, you know, sort of late elementary, it got, that just didn't seem fun anymore mm -hmm. and and uh, I gave up the quartet arm of the of the job and I still play in the symphony but um, I picked up doing the um, our, we have a three-tiered youth orchestra and now I um, work with the youngest kids in that group and it was just at the exact moment that my older daughter was ready to join that group so That's um, wonderful. I've been both mom and conductor since for the past five or six years and uh, that's been really, really fun. Both both girls both girls have graduated from my group and have moved up to the next levels. But that's wonderful. But, that's, uh, but then she also has how many students now? Private students. To over twenty and wow, yeah. wow! So that fills so, up a large part of your time. Is yeah, just the private instruction. And, yeah, and of course, what's difficult with that? The two things that are difficult with that are well, I have a few homeschooled kids, so that I can do those during the day. But mainly, I'm doing in the hours of dinner, and so that makes our family life a little more difficult. That a lot of the teaching I have to do is in the time when the kids are home, and. Also, just the fact that many students and at least, you know, a quarter of them have to change every week. So right. I spend a good amount of my time just rearranging schedules. So. Absolutely. But, uh, but it's a good, you know, I'm home. That's, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, um, that's one of the benefits of, of working, working and, and uh, but... But then when you work from home, you're just never not working. So, <laughs> right. 24-7. In, fact, in yeah. fact, this yeah, is Yeah, it's a, true. And that's, that's tricky. That's, it is tricky because then also, um, if you don't, yeah, I mean, we have an office in the house, but it's not like an office that you go away to. 
you can still be disturbed easily. Right. Somebody wants to ask you a question, you know, I can be in the middle of writing a song and they come in and, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> not now. But that's, I mean, that's a kind of access. You, you can't hardly, I guess you could have it where you don't go in, when daddy's door is closed, do not go in there. But we don't have those kind of hard and fast rules. Did your daughters choose violin and viola just because they saw you or did, did they go through a different instruments before they landed on strings well it's 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 funny you ask that because i i kind of have my story about that which is um i was gonna i i was determined to let them make the choice and and so on and 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 i wanted it, them to come by it sort of honestly naturally but they got to be about five and i got antsy and so i put them into piano and they've been playing piano since then and then I said okay but you'll get to choose your own instrument the the, the one that the, the one that will be your great love will be the, your choice and then um, when they got to be around fourth grade there was a string program at the school and so I said well you know now's a good time to choose your next instrument and so one of them says I want to play the flute <laughs> I said well no you can't play the flute <laughs> you know I want to play the trumpet why don't you pick a stringed instrument? They've got the strings over at the school. I want to play the cello. That's a little too big. <laughs> you know. Anyway, it, it got quite. So when it came down to your choice is either the violin or the viola, they, they chose the viola. So they did choose that. Oh. They can choose anything they want, as long as it's what you want. Somebody. Right, exactly. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. They've got, yeah, they've got. And remind know. me of your daughter's names. Bonnie and Virginia. Bonnie is here in the house. Virginia is at school. Okay. We, uh, uh, this is something you might be interested in. We believe in public schools. Our kids don't go to private school, uh, and they're not homeschool f- like a lot of people from age zero to whatever. However, we do believe for one year we keep each of them out because each of us has things we want to teach them. So this is Bonnie's year. She's 12 years old, and she's in the seventh grade. Virginia did it when she was in the eighth grade. So Bonnie's homeschooled, and I teach her English and Western civilization. Sandra teaches her math and science, and she has a tutor for Latin. And but there are certain things that we think, you know, we're old-fashioned. I mean, there are certain things that schools don't teach and they probably can't teach. Mm-hmm. And then there are also, because of the whole uh, politically correctness of schools, and you can say that's good or bad, I'm not going to judge that particularly, but they don't allow them to read certain literature that have certain words in it and things like that. When I think these are necessary, and the literature written by, you know, Thomas Wolfe and Chekhov, and I mean, Bonnie and I, 12 years old, we're reading Faulkner, you know, Edith Wharton, we're reading short stories, learning about literature and learning about life through these stories. And many of them would not be allowed in public schools because of what they say and how they say it. But my feeling is, all the problems we have now came from somewhere. You need to know where they came from. Yeah. They didn't just jump out of the earth 20 years ago. I studied English. So what I realized with Bonnie, uh, my Virginia, the first one, is we begin to st- we use the same book, read the same stories that we're doing with Bonnie. It's a book I had as a senior in high school, but I'm using it with her at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And I know she won't get everything, but she'll get a lot of it. Yeah. And what I realized was with Virginia was, yeah, I'm teaching her about the elements, you know, about plot and point of view and you know all the things that you learn about when you start learning about literature but what you really talk about is life because these are great stories this is great literature when you read great literature what comes up everything in life comes up 
Like, at what point in their development, probably your oldest, did you sit down and decide that you wanted to pull them out for a year? Well, I could tell you exactly what happened. It was the year that Kanawha County Schools gave iPads to every uh, 6th through 12th grader. And I have to say that now they have done a much, much better job restricting what's what's available. Um, they can't buy, they can't get apps anymore. They can't supposedly can't get games and the and the websites they can go to are, are severely restricted to the point where I think sometimes they can't research maybe what they need to, but mm-hmm. I'd rather have that. I'd had a little bit of a fantasy of just being able to be their teacher. Um, and then one day our older daughter, Virginia, came home from um, seventh grade and she just said, guess what we did today? We watched movies in every period because it's April and we have testing next week and the teachers have decided there's nothing else that we can do for the rest of the year. And so, um, and she said, Mom, I had to watch High School Musical in class. More than once. More than once. Which, and, I mean, it's no big deal. You watch it. It's not going to harm me to watch that, but this is school. Right. You know, so, can't, can't we even just get a documentary that's apropos to the subject matter of right. the class? Right. But no. And so she said, can I be homeschooled next year? And, and all of a sudden it was like, I never thought about that, but why not? And yeah. so, and so we went ahead and did it. And it was truly an amazing experience. There was, there was no downside to it. It was just... No. Um, well, there was some downside was, because uh, for, for me, I mean, I had... Was that, I still had two jobs in because I, I, I ran Festival Charleston and right. Mountain Stage, which was way too much. But I did that for 10 or 12 years for several reasons. main one is to get Festival established and I could turn it over to somebody else because I thought it was a good project. Yeah, but it was too much. It was yeah. too much for me to do. But... I was phasing out a little bit when Virginia was doing it, so yeah. it was not quite as heavy as it was when I was in the intense part of it. But still, you you know, you have, I have to read the assignment. I have to mm-hmm. get ready to teach class. So it's a job. Yeah. Not a big job. She taught more than I did. And, and this was her idea. It wasn't, if it had left to me, I never would have thought of it. But I'm so glad we did it for the reasons I told you. Yeah. Because I thought, okay, I'm going to teach my kids English. And well, I ended up realizing that, no, this is something much bigger than that. This is a big, big deal. And, and to talk with your kids at that age, 12, 13 years old, be able to talk about these subjects in a natural way rather than saying, hey, sit down at the table. Well, what do you think about so-and-so? Yeah, well, come <laughs> right. on. That's they're going to go, come on, Dad. You know, yeah. But if you get involved in a story, both of you, then you can really discuss. You know, And, and the stories, this is some of the best literature written by the, you know, the greatest authors in the world of English, English authors, although we read... We read a story about Camus, you know, translated into, mm-hmm. so we had to talk to my 12-year-old about uh, existentialism, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, you know, on the level that we can talk about it. Yeah. And That's there's nothing wrong with that. And they don't, do they get it all? Of course not. Do I get it all? Of course not. But you you talk about it and you they, they begins to dawn on them various things in the world, you know, there's this belief and that everybody doesn't think like we do and everybody right. doesn't see the world like we right. do. And that's Okay. And you can learn from their point of view. Doesn't mean you have to become them, but you can learn their point of view. And I think it's important to learn that. This is reminding me, someone's being very quiet because she's supposed to be... Uh, working on math. <laughs> working on math. This is, this is during her Bonnie. school time. School time. Yeah. Bonnie! Come on! There's Bonnie. Say hello. hello. Liz and Adam. Hi, Bonnie. Hello. Nice to meet you. You too. So get to work. <laughs> 
Bonnie, what's your favorite subject so far? Uh, Say the right thing. Yeah. You like, do you like the stories that we read? Yeah, they're fun. They're pretty interesting. Uh-huh. There's a spring in the mountain and it flows down to the Mountain top. Stage was founded in 1983 by Andy Reidenhauer, Larry Gross, and Francis Fisher. With over 900 episodes under their belt, Mountain Stage is celebrating a big milestone. Well, so coming up on 35 years for Mountain Stage, yeah. do you have any big plans and or is there someone that you've always wanted to have on the show <laughs> that you might ask for this big sure Bob number? Dylan Bob <laughs> no. did you hear we've, that Bob we, we've asked no there's people I want to have sure but yeah. the, 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 as I say the chances and we have asked certain people at certain times only because I thought there was a chance we asked Bruce Springsteen when he did the tour that was a tribute to Pete Seeger mm-hmm. and they talked to us and they said well we're not going to do any shows we're just going to do our things we're not going to do any radio or TV shows we understand your show. They know. I mean, they know the show. Um, we we asked. We've asked Paul Simon. We've asked Dylan, but only when there was a certain reason in their career where I thought maybe they feel like doing something like this as a weird little thing. Yeah, yeah something yeah. that would be interesting to them because obviously there's no, they they're they're a hundred times more famous than we'll ever be, and they make a hundred times more money in one show than we make for the year probably. A lot of these people, and. And so, but we don't want to waste their time. But every now and then, mm-hmm. we do. And because if you never ask, you never know. Somebody might say, "Oh, why not? Let's do this." You never know. Right. But most of the time, we just we don't we don't bother with that. You know. So that this year, I mean, one of the things we're doing is we're having starting to have guest hosts. For a long time, I was the I hosted. Oh my God! You know, thirty, thirty-two years in a row, nobody else ever hosted. And finally we started, and I told, I had to force, I said, look, I'm not going to be here forever. We need to get used to having someone else here. So even if I have a problem of some sort, I get sick or whatever, because I never missed a show ever wow. in 32. I've never missed a show in 34 years. Yeah, unless, that's, that's except kind of purpose. an aspect of our, yeah. of our lives also. We never take a sick day. Yeah. It's, right. it's, I can't, no, you can't, you just no. don't do that. And that's another thing that the kids see. There's no excuse. Yeah. Show must go on. You, you you don't say oh, I'm not feeling so good. It doesn't work like that. You gotta suck it up. And it happens. Yeah, we just, we somebody somebody's it. waiting. Somebody's depending on you. Yeah. The public's depending on you. Your partners. Your we have teams. Strong teams. Mountain Stage is a strong, close knit team. We all depend on each other. And believe me, nobody cops out. I mean, if you somebody's not there, it's because there's something very serious going right, on. Right. Right. So you mentioned projects. I wanted yeah. to touch base about that. Yeah. So I feel like both of you have lots of side projects so yeah how does that how do, always yeah yeah, always. yeah. i mean yeah. i'm we'll talk about in, your projects oh. first and then i'll talk about huh. my projects. yeah i'm just interested in, in how those side projects sort of fuel your creativity or your life with your daughters and just your overall um i would say you know my side projects basically uh especially since giving up the quartet side of things i instead of crying over the fact that in essence, my the large part of my performing career is over. Um, I realized that, especially from watching how it works in his world, that you have to make your own opportunities. And so I don't do it terribly often, but I'm I'm almost always have something on the books ahead, month or two down the road. 
of a recital or, or something. I've put on recital series for festival. I've, I've, uh, so I'm always thinking about something like that. Mm-hmm. I do a lot more now with, with kids. It's just, you're right in the nexus when your kids are of a certain age that, that, so I, I, do, I work a lot with kids, uh, um, above and beyond just studio teaching and so on with, yeah. with chamber music and so on. So I'm just always coming up with, with something and, um, what else? And then just chocolate. Yeah. She <laughs> makes a chocolate, which is a big time, passion for her. She loves chocolate. to do it. She loves to do <laughs> but, that. But also, no, we're always, we're well, always like two years ago, she had always wanted to play, uh, other kinds of music instead of classical. So, so yeah, that was a big. Project. She convinced me. She and some other people uh, convinced me to make an album. And so I thought, there's no reason for me to make an album. There's no reason in the world. Nobody wants to hear me singing. And then they convinced me finally that it would be good for uh, our kids to hear us play together because she was learning some of my songs. So then that kind of put me. Oh, okay. Well, then we could have just taken that. And gone in, you know, recorder, gone in the music room and played some songs so the right. kids would have it. But since this is what I do, and I know people who can make actually a record, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and make a record. So got into it. And I got it in a little too, little, little too far because I started thinking, well, maybe we'll try to sell this and I'll get a, you know, I'll do because I know how to do it. You get, you get a PR person, you get somebody to work the radio stations. And then I stopped and said, what am I talking about? This is stupid. There are people out there, young people trying to make a career. They're the ones that should be. I need. I don't need to be competing with them, and I'm not trying to start a career. So well, it's more of a piece for you. Yeah, yeah, it was for, definitely. Yeah. It was definitely. Yeah. It turned out to be for, a nice for ourselves record. that that's that we did it, and then and then the idea would be to to it'd be nice to to get out and play some, and we certainly we really enjoy those jobs when we get out and play, but. But you know, they the that kind of work only just barely pays for itself. So it's right. at some point Absolutely. when you're when it when it goes past that threshold of being enjoyable, it's it's not worth doing anymore. Yeah. So it's that's not. that was the side. And what else have you done on the side? She, her, the things that she's done to produce these recital pieces are really really great. She did one in October that was really really great. It's one of the better things I've heard for the last year. A couple of uh, soprano singers, <clears throat> pianists. Viola, cello, and uh, and a horn. They did a bunch of uh, leader of different German and Scandinavian. It was really, really good because singers were quite good and Thanks. the players are very good. So that's that fascinating. That yeah. Nice. Oh. yeah. <laughs> did you have a recording good. of that? No, no we unfortunately, didn't. No, didn't. Yeah, yeah, sure, that would have yeah, been nice yeah. to record. But you know, once again, as soon as you do that, you start making it a big project, and yeah, then it's like, yeah. you know, sometimes it's a, just the moment no, to that's, being that's, there in live yeah. music. Is exactly, just that's that's yeah. part of the deal. I mean, I, my whole life has been we're trying to document this, and we get you know, I have to go back and listen and edit and whatever. And sometimes you just want to do it, and that's it, and mm-hmm. it's gone. And it was you were there, it was great. If you weren't there, you missed it. Yeah, and that's that's good. And now I took on a big job. A year ago, which is coming to fruition, and I thought carefully about this, but uh, Theater West Virginia, you know what that is? Mm. It's an it's a outdoor theater. Most states have one that does just, it does the Hatfields and McCoys. Oh you yeah, know, it's out, outdoor like, yeah, yeah outdoor dramas. It's the biggest one, and for years it was very big, and it's kind of dwindled in its influence and money and so forth over the years because it's been there for well, as long as I've been here, it was there forty five years ago when I came. And they do it every summer. 
Well, the fellow who was in charge of it uh, got the idea that there should be a new play, West Virginia play, kind of related to West Virginia. So he was a fan of a movie that was made 26 years ago called Paradise Park. And I was the star of that movie. And the fellow who wrote the movie, owned the rights to it, still a friend of mine. And so they got to talk and and he said, why don't you make that into a musical? And so uh, Daniel Boyd, who's wrote the thing, he came to me and said, they're talking about doing this, make it into a musical. You want to try to do that? You write the songs, and I'll rewrite the the play. They said, "Okay, we'll we'll pay some money." And I said, "Great." And if I if I can't do it, then you'll give you the money back, and nobody's out anything because uh, you know I'm not going to take the money and then say, "Well, I can only do this." And right, I, right. I'm keeping yeah. the money. So I said that okay, but I still had no idea whether I could do it. So we worked for starting uh, last fall a year ago. And he was working on the script. I got the script. I began to write songs. I already had a, a, a couple of songs that were possible. Three of them. One, one was one I used in the movie. They used in the movie, which I co-wrote. And then I ended up writing ten more songs. And then I used two other songs that I had written for other projects, but they fit into this. So it ends up being 17 things, some of which are short little things. So now they're going to produce it That's next amazing. June. Yeah, and that's... And I always wanted to do something in the musical, so but I didn't know if I could do that. And it, it's grief because it, you know, I I didn't I was pressing it out. You know, I mean, I didn't know if I could even write songs anymore. But I wrote ten of them. It was just short of he was difficult to live with, but not yeah, not quite, yeah. not quite. But it's it's a pressure's on. You got to yeah. produce. So you know whether it's good or not, you can see it and make up your own mind. I like it because I like the heart of the story. And I liked it when uh, when it was a movie. It's different than the movie, quite a bit different than the movie. But the plot of this is people in a trailer park in West Virginia, a very small trailer park. They're all, you know, just several trailers. And an old woman in the middle of the night gets a message from God saying, I'm going to come and grant everybody a wish tonight. And so she tells people this and they, you know, they think the lady's gone around the bend. Uh, but... What you see is some of their fantasies of what they would wish for. And then you see what happens. And you have to decide yourself whether God came or not. Oh, wow. And it's a, yeah. it's a sweet story. And it's a, the, really the heart of the story is the love of West Virginia, your place. It could apply to anywhere, but it, it's here because they're living there, a coal mine. And you know, it's all this stuff. But it's really about any small place where you love it, but you feel like you're going to have to leave it. And maybe you should leave it to better yourself, but then you really don't want to leave it. And even when you leave, you really want to be there again. I, I hope that people feel the heart of this story. And, you know, the songs are are about things like there's one character in the park who just has a sign that says, man will work. He never talks, but he sings a song. And the song is, everybody thinks that I want something for nothing. And, but I don't. I want to work. It's, there's some things that are that are I think are interesting. Whether they work or not, we'll see. We're working on it now, hard with the director, when music directors and stuff, and 
I've never done it before, so I really and truly have no idea how it's going to go over with the public. Mm-hmm. And but it's all outdoor. outdoor. It's going to be an outdoor okay. thing, but it, it's it's and that's tricky too because it needs to have a little bit more lighting effects. But it when they start it, it, it gets dark halfway through, so you can have lighting effects in the second okay. half of the play, but not so much on the first right, half. Right, right. So you know you got to take all the things into account. You hope you get a decent cast and. I don't know. I I have hopes for it, but I don't have any big expectations. But I'm glad we did it. We actually finished it. Got it done. I asked about their experience having children later in life after already establishing their careers. This is what Larry and Sandra had to share. I basically have never felt I had a career. So <laughs> definitely once I became a mother, that was the that was the first priority of life. That yeah. was I mean, so I would say my career is truly being a mother, not not so much, um, and uh, but you yeah. But you say every week if I'm not playing the viola, I'm not happy. Yeah, but but and and it doesn't work if I don't have some project coming up. So for example, I couldn't be not with the symphony and not having uh, something on the books uh, coming down the line, a recital of some sort. Um, just practicing and, and isn't just, enough. Exactly, I couldn't I couldn't keep it up. But she does um, actually have a I career. Do, but. I do manage to keep it up to at least an almost satisfactory level for now, and then the kids are not going to be around forever. So hopefully, I'll do more later. But I never really thought in those terms that what I do is is uh, you know I just taking on an identity as a musician. I almost can't even think of myself that way. So it's it's a strange. It's been a strange life, strange and wonderful, and and. Um, certainly the kids are, are, uh, you know, the big project is always the kids. And I don't know, I would say up until maybe the older one hit 13, I felt pretty smug about the job I was doing. And now, <laughs> now I don't, which, I don't know job? that I can, uh, mother, mothering. Yeah. You'll, you'll find out I when your kids I... get to be teenagers. Everybody says that. Oh my and God. it does have an effect. I mean, even if you got the greatest kids in the world. Teenage times are teenage times, and I things come around that you didn't ever think would come but, around for your but, kids. Uh, anyway, uh, now I don't know what I'm doing anymore. So Well, nobody does. I mean, yeah. how to deal That's with a, a teenager, point. no yeah. one really knows that. Yeah. They don't but, write books on that. Um, no, they, I mean, they, they, they do, they, but, they but they, yeah, they, I wouldn't try to follow them. And just every kid's different, and every yeah. kid has different challenges. I, I can tell you, for me, I think there's no question in, in my mind. I think the best thing that ever happened to me was not having kids when I was 22, and having kids when I was 54. Why? Because when I was trying, I was trying to establish a career. I was out there trying to, you know, make my name and whatever. And I would love kids. It would have been uh, no question because, you know, once you have a kid, you love the kid. But I I didn't know who I was. I didn't have any clue. You know, you never know who you are 100%, but you certainly know more in your 50s than you knew in your early 20s of who you are. And, uh, you know, you have and, some and, idea. And thus our children have very jaded old man kind yeah, of points of view. Yeah, they, 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 they see the world like I do, which is not necessarily good. At 12 years old, you may not supposed to see it that way. But in any case, no, because what, what I realize is that, I, and I guarantee you this, and I'm, I'm sure there are many 25-year-old men and women who feel the same way, but to me it had to be, I had to be older, that I realize what an incredibly wonderful and lucky situation this is that I can have a kid I mean at 25 I think I'll take it for granted you have a kid that's what you do my age I didn't think I would ever have a kid 
So all of a sudden, having at that age, I thought, you know, this is a really big deal, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna really make the most of this as much as I can. She still raises them more than I do, but I'm pretty involved in their life, and and they, it's it's definitely, I appreciate it more at this age. I think, mm-hmm. I think you can't hardly not, you know, because whatever I've done, I'm still doing some of it, but it's already done. I'm not gonna now. As I said with the record, I'm not going to try to be a pop star or something. It's that's those days are way far gone, way way gone. Mm-hmm. And I still think I need to work in like this new project. Who knows if it, it might open the door? It may not, but it'll just be a good project. They they see that the kids also see that you're you're working on a project. You're serious. It's not it's no joke. This is not. And do you think it's going to Broadway? Of course not. But does that mean it's it's trivial? No, of course not. It's right. still very important to you and to wherever it goes. So it gets played. We know it's going to go for 14 days at Grandview. Good. Maybe it'll never go again. Maybe they'll say, yeah, it didn't work and we won't do it again. Or maybe they'll keep doing it every summer. Maybe we'll get somebody else to do it if it's any good. But that's something you only find out by doing it. you got to do something. You can't just do nothing and sit around and say, well, you know, I don't like the way things are. Well, then friggin' do something. Yeah, we definitely have worries about... You know, what's, what's, I suppose every generation has had that worry for the next generation. What are they going to do and are they going to be motivated? And we seem to feel that there are fewer and fewer reasons to be motivated to do, to do stuff. I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. I think our, our kids would like to be YouTube personalities probably. Yes. We were that's, just talking about that on the way up about, about that's that their greatest ambition. Yeah. But I would have to say that, that, what they don't realize about that is that is hard work. I'm sure, oh, sure. that I am sure that that is as much self promotion and and as sure. as any other job that that you would have to do. So well, one thing I would try to teach them about in in terms of popularity and fame and fortune in that sense is that uh, that's not uh, uh, as we all know. I'm sure you know this already. Most people do. It's not. It isn't a one to one relationship with quality. Ever and never has been. I mean, the most popular things have never automatically been the best things, um, for many reasons. Uh, but it's it's important to try to do something that's good, and if it can be popular, that's great. If it's if it can't be popular, then you just have to find out a way to make it work. But don't set your sights low. We're gonna do, don't aim at the lowest common denominator because it makes you famous. Because I don't think in the end it will make you happy. You gotta you gotta aim a little higher than that and try for something. That's why I said in the beginning of this book. I mean, you can if you can write escapist literature that's getting very popular. Good for you because most people can't write anything. That's good. But if you can write entertaining literature that's also interpretive and that's that's really bigger. And great for you, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. and that's that. You, and you, you know, you never know what if you're going to get there or not. You don't know. Nobody sets out to write a masterpiece. You set out to write something that works. And if it works, you've won the first battle. But if it's more than that, then you're really in the right war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's kind of what I want my kids to to go away understanding. The Life Soundtrack Podcast is co-produced by Liz Paul and sound engineer Adam Rich. It is a collaboration between Life Soundtrack and WOUB Public Media. You can find out more on www.lifes, 
soundtrack.com. Subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.